0: The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. Y'all look vaguely familiar. For those of you who we may not appear familiar to, we're Renee and James B. Notkin. That's Renee, I'm James B. And you are the dynamic and generous congregation of which has been our home community for many many years but for the last two and a half years renee and i have been part of the leadership team of upc's south lake union expression called union clever name and thanks to you and thanks to god it's been and is a wonderful and exciting adventure we began as a handful of people getting together in a coffee shop down on westlake and since then, we've fallen in love with this neighborhood that seems to be changing every single day in a variety of ways. We've gotten to know our neighbors and one another in kind of a natural way on the fourth Sunday of each month, like today. Uh, we don't gather together as a whole, but disperse among the city to, as Romans 12 says, worship with acts of service. And we are serving in a variety of places, and we also get together in homes to get to know one another better and to grow in community. On all the other Sundays of the month, we are gathering at the Armory in South Lake Union, at the edge of South Lake Union. Although in July, because of your support, because of your belief, because of your vision, and that of the Union community, uh, we're moving into a fabulous new building on Westlake that we're looking to use as a community hub, as a third place where community can grow there, and we can gather, and the community can get to know one another.
1: More than. Twenty-five years ago, we both heard a powerful calling, like many of you, from the pulpit that was fixated there. Senior pastor at that time, Bruce Larson, invited us to see Jesus in a fresh way as the one who calls each of us on a journey. Bruce encouraged us, this congregation, to live in response to God's love by taking risks and partnering with the Holy Spirit. It has been an amazing honor for us um, to be around you all, to be around the people of this congregation through the years, and to learn from you as you have said yes to following Jesus through creatively loving your neighbors, loving your city, loving your world. And we just want to say union is an outpouring of your commitment to living boldly in response to God's love. Several years ago, a vision began to emerge to explore launching satellite churches out of UPC. And three years ago, Earl Palmer and the UPCA session gave a big yes and said, this is the time, this is the time to send forth a community. And what started as an exploratory class in Geneva with 50 or so folks has grown into a community of 200-plus adventurous folks, risk-takers, seekers, doubters, believers. People are asking that same question. What does it mean to, amaze, to respond to Jesus' love in the city? And we come this morning with overflowing hearts of gratitude. We are thankful, so thankful, for George's quick embrace and vision and response and commitment to this. We are thankful for your commitment to the power of the gospel. We've had, we have this rich privilege of walking alongside people, people that we've just gotten to know who are asking questions to say, is Jesus even for real? We also have the privilege of coming alongside folks who are discovering some for the very first time that their personalities and their gifts are the leadership gifts and the needs that can make a difference. And, wow, they are making a difference. So from the growing community of union, we say thank you.
0: Let's pray. Lord God, we say thank you to you. For this church to be a part of a community that is willing to dream, that is willing to trust, that is willing to risk. And for all the good things around the globe that have happened because of you and because of this congregation's faithfulness. Lord, thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow us. That as we participate in this foolishness called preaching. That we would bow our hearts and our minds before you. That by your spirit, through your word, we would be a changed people. And that we would give the glory to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Our scripture day comes from the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter. And Jesus is still in the early part of his ministry. Amazing, he was just born a few days ago and <laughs> still in the early part of his ministry. <coughs> And he's just returned from Galilee to attend a Jewish festival. And the text is not clear on what that festival is, but we're pretty sure that it's not Christmas. Uh, it's you know, some other one of the main holidays of the time. And, uh, but we see you know, that Jesus does value celebration. So come and hear God's word. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem... By the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called Bethesda, or Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. There is this belief that the waters would be disturbed by an angel. And when you saw the rippling in the water, if you were the first person into that pool, then you would be healed from whatever ailed you. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, And knew that he'd been there for a long time he said to him do you want to be made well
1: and the sick man answered him sir I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm making my way someone else steps down ahead of me Jesus said to him stand up take your mat and walk at once the man was made well And he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said, Take up your mat and Walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. May God add his blessing to the hearing of his word. This fall, when it was still warm out, we had a neighbor visit our house that I had not met before. He was about this tall. He is about this tall. And he rode up to our house on his shiny black bike, um, training wheels freshly removed, I had just stepped outside as he energetically brought his bike to a halting stop in front of me, gravel spinning. This neighbor of about six years of age said to me strongly, without a pause, I don't like the way my mother has been treating me today, so I am running away. Then he paused, he looked around at our house, and he said, and this looks like a good place to start over. well, do. well, as I walked him home, assuring him that he probably wouldn't find our house to be much better than his own, and that he would be glad to give his mother a second chance, just like my kids do for me, I did think about how often, <clears throat> when I don't like my circumstances, I ponder the option of just looking for a good place to start over. Only, like you, I might want to hop on a
0: plane. It seems like we're all looking for change, to some degree, to make our lives better, to make them more right. We want to get those closets sorted out. We want to lose a few pounds. We want to recycle more. We want to change our major, change our job, find a job. We want, on even a deeper level, we want to push away the darkness that just seems to cloud in. And we want to push away the darkness in the lives of our friends who are suffering from illnesses and diseases. We want to make change in our relationships. We want to draw closer to those near and far. We want to draw closer to our family. We want to draw closer to ourselves, understand ourselves better. We want to draw closer to God. But like you two state so well, we often feel like we're stuck in a moment and we can't get out of it. We tend to imbue this time of year with some kind of special power, thinking, oh, this is going to be a time to change. And yet... Deep down, maybe even just halfway down, we know that just flipping the calendar really isn't going to bring that change, isn't going to bring us into that freedom that we truly want.
1: The man in our text today is also looking for change. But he's been stuck in a moment for 38 years. That would be like us waiting for something to happen since the time right after Neil Armstrong walked on the moon till now. For this entire time, This man has been dependent on the charity of others for transportation, for food, for protection. Who knows how long he's been waiting at the side of this pool. John doesn't tell us. But the potential healing water that is in that pool is the solution that he's fixated upon. If only he could get into the pool just as the water is disturbed, just as the ripples start to move. If he could dip his finger in the water first, then life would be better. But he's surrounded by others who have the same idea. There's only one solution.
0: Then one day, a stranger comes up to him, asking what seems to be a rather unnecessary, stupid And very possibly a heartless question. He says, Do you want to be well? And you think about it, I mean, that's like going up to somebody at a bus stop and saying, Do you want to ride? Do you want to go somewhere? You're trying to get someplace in mind that you want to go to? Of course he does. Of course he wants to be well. But the wisdom of the question is revealed by the man's response to Jesus. You know, you would expect an emphatic, Yes, I want to be healed. Or at least a sarcastic, no, frankly, I like hanging out by the pool because of the great drinks of the little umbrellas here. No. I mean, you know, you expect either that kind of some definitive response. To but instead, the question that he answers is not even one that Jesus asks. The man replies, No one is here to put me in. Someone else always beats me to the pool. The question the man seems to hear, but that Jesus is not asking, is, Why aren't you better? What are you doing lying around here? Why don't you get your act together and do something? The man's defensive response, no doubt shaped by his circumstances and the people around him, to Jesus' simple and direct question reveals the fear and the stuckness of this man. He has developed a name that is not true. He has developed a name that says, I am the forgotten one, the inadequate one. And he spent years clinging to one way out of his predicament. A pool of water that he can never get to in time. Evidently, do you want to be well? Is not a simple question for the man. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus asks him a question that gets to the heart of his existence. That contains and, and holds the pain of the past. The fear of his present. And the hope of his future. Do you want to be well? That's a good question. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's easier just to stay as we are, no matter what the pain, no matter what the lack of comfort, no matter what the lack of health. Why? Well, for the man by the pool, it could be that the known beats the unknown. Hey, life may not be great, but it's the life I know. He's got his routines down, he knows where he gets his food, he knows how to get his food, he knows what to expect. And it's taken a long time to figure out how to negotiate life to this point. And it's easier, frankly, to just keep on going with the same script.
1: Or it may be he's afraid of failing. His present circumstance in his culture means the bar was set pretty low for him. It's hard to fail if no one expects much of you. To be made well could bring in new expectations, new responsibilities. Is he up for it? And maybe it's just that he has lost hope in anything but the pool. We don't know who's let him down along the way of this story. Maybe he just can't envision that there's any other way out. So we see the man avoids the question. He makes excuses, he blames others, he refuses to take responsibility. He's a bit like the guy who wrote on his insurance claim, and maybe you encountered someone like this this week, the accident occurred while I was attempting to bring my car out of a skid by steering it into the other vehicle. Or the one who wrote, the other car collided with mine without giving me any warning of its intention. Everything the man says is right. He gives an absolutely correct reporting of the facts. You can't deny what he says. And you realize that he has no concept of the power of what Jesus can do. He doesn't even know Jesus' name. And so he seems more concerned about being right, defending his position, than this possibility of being well.
0: I have a friend who I met in college whose life has truly been transformed as he's followed Jesus over these years. He has a father who is never really too sure, is really quite skeptical about all this God stuff. But even his father has had to come to admit that there's something to this Jesus stuff because of the way that my friend's life has changed. But he still has not come to a place where he can trust Jesus himself because he figures It just wouldn't be right. He has lived so much of his life on his own without Jesus that it violates his personal sense of propriety to start trusting now. He figures he doesn't deserve to share in God's love and in the new life that Christ answers. It's just not right. And you know what? He's right. He doesn't deserve it. But neither do we. And that is the good news We get something wonderful that we don't deserve. God is more concerned about us being well than being right. He longs for us to put down our defenses and to trust Him because He knows that as we become well, the rightness will follow. The man at the pool experiences this truth. Even though he ignores Jesus' question, Jesus still is at work with him. The powerful promise that Jesus reveals throughout this passage is that the Lord of the Sabbath is still at work. He doesn't stop working. Jesus calls forth an opportunity for the man to change, to walk, to pick up his mat and walk. And he does. Jesus' love towards us is not dependent on our being right. There is nothing we can do that make God love us anymore. And as Bruce Larson said, nothing we can do to make God love us even less. That is the gospel. I am accepted by Christ as I am, warts, issues, questions, doubts—it all. I'm accepted, and therefore, I obey. Religion, on the other hand, says, "I obey, I work hard, and then I'll be accepted." The gospel of acceptance, then obedience, is what we just celebrated with these four terrific boys as we went through baptism. I mean, what better demonstration of God's gift than these? What can a baby do? A baby can be there and cry or hug or whatever, you know. But there's really nothing they can do to earn God's good graces. It's a gift. And that's one of the beautiful things we celebrate with baptism, is this gift of God's grace and love for us. Well, What do we discover in this text, then, about getting unstuck and getting on with life and into freedom?
1: For one thing, questions are more important than answers. We have been conditioned to think that if we can just get the answer, that the answers are the key to change. But the problem with that is that we often end up answering the wrong questions in our lives. Are you saved? Do you have a regular quiet time? Are you a good person? Are you financially secure enough? Are you really trying? We can answer those questions with religiously acceptable responses and yet remain unchanged, still feel stuck, And maybe even go into a depression. But those are not the questions Jesus asks. Those are not the questions God has asked since the beginning of creation. Those sadly are the type of questions that the religious leaders ask. Who said you could carry that mat on the Sabbath? Even though this is the very first time you've ever stood on those legs in 38 years. That is a sad question. Jesus' questions are very different. They bring forth life, not defeat us. Do you love me? Who do you say that I am? Will you trust me? Do you want to be well? Those are ongoing questions that we get to answer every day in the moments of our lives. Because they are questions that transform our lives. They are questions that transform how we look at ourselves and how we look at one another. They are questions that say somebody is for us. The God of the universe loves us. The God of the universe desires to give us a full life. Second, the story of this man by the pool reveals that Jesus has come to stir up our imagination. Albert Einstein once said, Imagination is more important than knowledge. For while knowledge defines all we currently know and understand, Imagination points us to what is yet to be discovered and created. The man in our story had knowledge of a pool. Jesus broke into this man's closed reality and gave him an imagination for a new way of being. One that involved risking, standing up. When the eternal one is involved, he calls us to be a part of something that is more than we can ask or even imagine. Does the story of our life happen as we always think it should? Rarely. There are others by that pool that have a different story. They don't get touched by Jesus that day. And with our finite minds, we don't always understand that reality. Does the transforming power of God bring about change and wholeness in our lives as we trust him? Always.
0: We also discover that change comes from taking a chance with Jesus with some kind of first step. For the man, it involves standing and risking the laughter of others and his own personal disappointment if nothing happened when Jesus commanded him to stand. For some of us, it's trusting that God can satisfy us when we keep our mouths off that link to those sites that we say, Ah, no big deal yet nonetheless undermine our relationships and twist us on the inside. For others of us, it's letting our gifts benefit others, no matter how inadequate we think our gifts are or that we are. And those first steps turn to second and third and more and more steps, and we discover that when we risk with Jesus, when we trust that He indeed is for us and loves us and calls us forth into freedom, that we also become people who focus upon wholeness, and wellness instead of rightness. Following Jesus does not mean that we become religious people who spend our lives being people, telling people that they're messed up. Following Jesus means becoming someone who asks questions that may catch others off guard, but nonetheless bring life. Questions like, who does God say you are? What is your true name? What is God doing in this neighborhood? And how do you be a part of it? What what are you passionate about? What are your dreams? A year ago, Renee and I had a chance to go to Kenya with folks from here at UPC and Union and also First Press Bellevue. And while we were there, we met a man named James Sakuda, and through him, his cousin Moses Kinaya. I always butcher his name, but that's what it is Kinaya. Can you say it? Kinaya. See, she's really good at languages. I'm not. Immediately, we were drawn by their sense of vision, by their compassion, by their dynacism. For they were going through villages and working with different villages in Kenya and transforming them through water projects, micro-lending, educational opportunities. And we asked them to tell us their story. And you know what the turning point in their lives were, in their story? It was a legendary story from UPC. It was Denny... And Jeanie Grindle, who flourished a here in Seattle, who traveled to Kenya in 1968 on a safari. And while they were there, they saw the devastating effect of drought that had on the Maasai community and on their cattle. And when he came back, Denny started reading books about water storage. And then went back two years later and met the grandfather of James and Moses and asked them, him a life-giving question. Will you help me build a dam? And their grandfather stretched his imagination to try to comprehend something that he had never seen, something that he had never heard, and said yes to the Grindles. And then the result? Human lives, cattle, all saved from a drought when death was the norm for all the land around them. And then the ability to grow crops and to have a school And to encounter Jesus in the lives of people who are obviously for them. And the greatest legacy, people like Moses and James, who know that God can meet us in our stuckness and set us free to walk in freedom and to walk on.
1: Both James and and Moses were baptized in the church that the Grindels helped build in their village. And Moses, some of you may know, he just graduated this last spring, with his master's from Seattle University. And last month, he was with me and some friends, and he in turn posed a question to a friend of mine who had been struggling for a way to combine her love for Africa and her degree in architecture. And she was in a place in her life where she felt stuck, stuck by the direction, the direction she was meant to take in her life. And Moses, having only briefly met her, looked at her and said, Do you want to design a clinic in my village in Kenya? And as I saw the spark in her eye, I thought that is a life giving question. Yes, we still have to imagine what that could be like, but the excitement of thinking of what can be. Jesus entered the world to transform us, to make us well. Do you want to be well? If he was just a man who walked this earth for a few years and then died and only healed a few people, it wouldn't be worth trusting him. But he is the God-man who came to life to bring eternal wholeness, who conquered death and rose again. And because of him, we can trust, no matter what our circumstances, that he is bringing about good things in our lives. That when he came, Jesus came to break that which binds us. He came to set us free. Our role is to stand and walk. And in closing, I would like to read from Bruce Larson, who spoke and lived life with zest, but is now living a life beyond what we can ask or even imagine as he glorifies God in his presence. Here, in closing, Bruce's words. No one really has to be a prisoner of circumstances or environment. The good news is that we are already free. The message we announce to our friends is that freedom is available for all because of God's love and power in Jesus Christ. The only condition seems to be that we admit we are prisoners and then risk leaving the security of old patterns and walk out into the sunlight and freedom. It is not easy to live responsibly and in freedom, and it is a challenge. Jesus says, I came to bring release to the captives, and I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Dare to live now. Gracious Lord, may we be people that sitting here, let ourselves be embraced by the awesome love that you have for us. May we be people who walk forth from this place in confidence that you call us to be about bringing your love to people who desperately need it, May we be people who live in faith and hope and confidence that we are known and loved by you and nothing can change that. May we be people who live now in your name. Amen. Amen.
0: All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www. Dot .upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.